Hey everyone, my name is Will Malice, and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus, serving the community since 1890. And this is the official podcast for the news section of the Collegian, called the Collegian News Hour. We're recording today's episode on Sunday, March 8th, but this, like every installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So in the studio with me to recap the stories we have covered over the past week are the rest of the news team. If you want to introduce yourselves. Catherine Eston, assistant news editor. I'm Abby Charpentier, the news editor. Sophia Gardner, assistant news editor. And Irina Kostake, assistant news editor. Cool. So we have a few stories to talk about this week. Um, starting with this past weekend was uh, the big Blarney blowout, uh, which, Catherine, you have an article about? Yes, this will be coming out tomorrow. Uh, and for those of you who aren't UMass students or maybe aren't UMass alum, Blarney Blowout has a reputation on campus. It's the first weekend in March, I believe, usually the weekend before St. Patrick's Day, because they send us all home and get us out of the area by then. And it has a reputation from a few years ago. It was a big party weekend, typically a lot of arrests in the area. Uh, and the university in recent years has have taken a lot of actions to combat that. You know, they hold a big concert during the day to try to get students um, away from day parties, away from drinking during the day. And, of course, there's a lot of police officers in the area. A lot of Western Mass towns send forces up. The state police have agents in the area and officers in the area during the day. Do not speed in the area on that day. So it's everyone knows there's a lot of police presence. And in recent years, the numbers have gone down. There were two arrests last year, a couple the year before. Uh, and this year, surprisingly, there were 20 arrests made. We don't know everything about these arrests yet. Um, we know that a majority occurred at two locations which are currently undisclosed uh, when we get the police reports we should be able to have a better idea of you know where that happened but the understanding right now is it's two parties kind of got out of hand uh, and then there were several people transported to hospitals for alcohol related issues and injuries including six from the Mullins live concert which took place uh, Saturday morning and uh, so the university in a press release said it was largely for infractions such as noise complaints disorderly conduct and alcohol violations uh, the town manager said that any major issues were deterred by having this large police presence and having people being able to respond quickly. Uh, and I definitely look forward to learning more about this, you know, what happened in the town and is UMass going to get stricter? Are they going to come up with new ways to combat this? Or is this a year just an anomaly and it's not a return to the Blarney of the days of old? And then on campus, the concert didn't go as planned. Uh, it was supposed to be Meek Mill, a famous rapper, and Lil TJ, another rapper, performing. On the headline act, Meek Mill uh, allegedly came to this show and he was at Mullins and he chose not to perform. On the understanding among the audience and a couple of the people who were working the event was that he thought the crowd size was too small. It was about 1,500 students. On past years, it's over 2,000 have attended. Uh, but it is a paid concert and people didn't buy tickets. And guests were very upset that Meek Mill did not come. Uh, I talked to a freshman who attended the concert and thought it was very rude. But they also felt that the university should have opened up uh, tickets to more people because then they think it might have sold better and they would have been able to fund a better concert next year. So that's all we know right now. And hopefully in the next few days, we'll have another update story on that. I do wonder if Meek Mill deciding not to perform allegedly might have affected the number of arrests because the concert was cut short. I wonder if more people were out going to parties and going to drinking in the day. Yeah, it would be interesting if we could find out if the people who were arrested chose to leave the concert and then went to something because they were out an hour earlier. And I'm sure the university will be issuing another statement soon on how they're dealing with that. I remember it was it 2014. Does anyone remember was the year that there were a couple dozen arrests? 
I think it was upwards of 60 arrests, um, somewhere in that range. But after that, the university had a very strong response saying anyone who was arrested could be suspended or expelled because of this. You know, we don't tolerate this kind of behavior. And I wonder, you know, will Chancellor Subswami issue a letter or is it just going to be people under him dealing with this issue? I'm also very curious. I don't know if we really could find out the answer to this, but if there is any relation at all between like the harshness of UMass's treatment towards Blarney and like student partying and how it went up so drastically this year, Um, because it seemed like it kind of was naturally just going down like since that height year in 2014, but it just skyrocketed again this year. So I wonder if like the university hadn't been so yeah harsh with the punishments if it kind of would have just naturally started to wean anyway yeah and working at the police department this year working with apd and getting the police logs each week they talk about the beginning of semesters is typically when they get a lot stricter Uh, it's all about deterrence not you know actively trying to punish students who are breaking these rules Uh, and it's focused more on we don't want you to do it again we don't want uh, students to be in danger but if something like this is happening you kind of have to question is the system working and what did UMass need to do differently Because we also have, uh, for people who haven't attended here, we do the alcohol training before you're a freshman where you have to take that whole program where it's online, you go through the class. Not very fun, but you do it. Mm -hmm. And it's also in recent years, we've talked about this on the podcast before, where it's, oh, UMass is losing that party school reputation. I think we had an op-ed published either this year or last year that was like, oh, Blarney is dead. Nobody even talks about it anymore. There was a Blarney reunion in uh, Boston this weekend, apparently with UMass alum. And a lot of people say, you know, UMass is one of these up and rising schools. It's no longer the party school it was in the 80s and 90s. So I'm assuming the university is really not a fan of something like this happening uh, because it kind of questions that reputation. It says, you know, have you really changed or is being what we're number 25 in the nation now, 24 for public schools, somewhere in the 20s. And now it's saying, oh, you know, have that nice shiny veneer of having good GPAs and nice programs and really good dining. But also the Amherst Police Department's sick of you. (laughs) Something I'm interested in seeing tomorrow when we get the police logs is like the ages of the people who are arrested, because I was I'm wondering whether they're a little bit older um, students at UMass or whether they're like the freshmen and sophomores coming in and like trying to bring back that like ZooMass kind of reputation, I guess, if that makes sense. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how old they are and where they're from, because I'm interested to see whether it's like people's friends who came in for the weekend and were at these like parties across town or whether... They were students from UMass. Also, um, back to the concert real quick. Um, I wonder how this year is going to affect attendance rates for next year's concert, because now that they've added on, you know, the concert used to be free, but then I think it was last year they added on that you have to pay for admission. And then this is the second year where they've had a cancellation. So I wonder if people are still going to come next year or they're going to, people might think that, well, the main attraction is going to end up just no-showing. So, like, what's the point of me even getting tickets? Yeah, I definitely agree there because it's not the first time somebody's canceled on a concert at UMass. Uh, it's not the first time things have been reassigned. And even concerts that are held, people usually complain the main act comes out for 15, 20 minutes and it's not as exciting as they feel it should be. Yeah, and I'll be interested next spring to see if they have the concert or if they do something different. Cool. So uh, for our second story this week... Catherine, you wrote uh, earlier in the week an update on coronavirus. Yeah, I feel like a big deal today, two stories in a row. Uh, But coronavirus is international news. It's national news. It's also news at UMass. So Governor Charlie Baker asked last week that high schools and universities cancel upcoming international trips as a precaution against the spread of coronavirus or COVID-19. And Chancellor Kumbal Subhaswamy was part of that meeting, which took place in Boston. 
uh, and they decided to put that recommendation into effect. So this is following a decision. Uh, students who were studying abroad were brought home from Italy, and they canceled trips in South Korea and in China. They're talking about potentially doing this with some other study abroad programs, and any upcoming study abroad trips were canceled. So if you were on a trip that was going away for spring break, they asked students do not travel in Europe over spring break. Even if you weren't going with the university, they still suggested not to go to Europe. And if you visit any of the countries that are currently at a level three indication, which would be Italy, Iran, uh, Korea, and China, I believe are the four, uh, you have to go into two weeks of quarantine when you come back. And it's self-quarantine, meaning you know you don't leave your house, you limit going into crowds. And so any student who's returned from Italy, so halfway through their semester, they were studying abroad, they've been brought back home. Uh, they're all currently on self-quarantine. And I did get a chance to talk to two students who are on self-quarantine. One was kind of upset about saying, you know, I'm finally back home. And I was thinking, you know, yeah, I can't stay abroad anymore, but at least I get to see my friends and family. And they can't because they're stuck in their house for two weeks. Um, and then the other, they both felt it was the right decision that the university was trying to keep them safe. They wanted to stop the spread. Uh, but it's also disappointing because you look forward to your study abroad and they kind of feel like this opportunity has been taken by them and the university couldn't control it, but uh, it is upsetting for them. And then Subaswamy is also appointed two working groups. Uh, one is a campus preparedness working group, and that's working with the Department of Emergency Management. So they're figuring out, you know, what would quarantine look like at UMass? Uh, what would we do if a case did come to UMass? You know, which hospitals should we be working with in the area, working with uh, local town health councils? Uh, so that's in Amherst and the other surrounding communities. And the other group uh, is looking at academic planning. So hypothetically, how do we have to deal with changes for visas for international students? Uh, because we do have a very high population of international students here at UMass. And then also, if we had to all go into self-quarantine, which, knock on wood, that we don't have to do that, uh, but could they switch to alternative course delivery methods, like online classes, uh, in the case we were not allowed to have students out and about? Uh, I think an interesting question that arises from particularly the study abroad thing is, um, after you know the students go through their 14 days of quarantine, like how do you, because obviously ad drop period's well over, they've already paid for their study abroad program, like do you give them their money back? Like what happens next for those students? So a lot of them have adjusted to be on online classes uh, because the universities in Italy are also dealing with this outbreak. So uh, some of them have already closed that UMass students were at. Others are still operating, but because a lot of international students are leaving to return home uh, and other countries, universities are also recalling their students. Uh, they're trying to set up online classes for all of them to be able to complete their credits. Uh, the university has guaranteed to all these students that uh, this will not disrupt their graduation plans. They won't end up a semester behind because of this cancellation. And they've placed priority on uh, graduating seniors to make sure they get all the credits they need to graduate in May. Um, but yeah, it's still upsetting because it's not the experience they've paid for. And at least the two students who were studying in Italy that I talked to said that they don't expect to be refunded for their study abroad experience. And I think the conversation could shift to if somebody was paying more to study abroad than they were paying to be here, they could potentially argue, you know, I want a refund, I want some of this money back. And I think the university is going to have to deal with that. And then especially with summer programs, a couple have been canceled, but not all of them have. And the university does run a few summer seminars in other countries. For example, Oxford's a big one. And right now that hasn't been canceled. But what does it mean for the future of the international programs office? if we do have to shut them down for the summer and potentially the fall. I think I definitely understand the rationale between or behind um, pulling people out of the level three, I think you said, ranked countries like Italy or blocking off travel to those countries. But there's a lot of students that are going on abroad programs that aren't in places at all where there was 
cases of coronavirus, so there are very little ones. So I think that that is definitely going to be really tough on some of the students because, um, yeah, like a lot of people are looking forward to these trips. Um, a lot of them are kind of once in a lifetime kind of things that they're going to have to miss out on. And especially when it's not even a country that necessarily has cases of the virus so far, it must really suck. Yeah, I know a few people studying abroad in other countries, mm -hmm. uh, countries like Sweden, England. They haven't been told they're going home. They're all still over there. Mm -hmm. uh, they worry a bit about, you know, a month from now, if it continues to spread, are they going to be brought back home? And what's it mean later in the semester to switch to an online class right before finals or something? But they've also been asked not to leave their host countries. Definitely don't travel to Italy. I think that's the main message they've been told. Uh, but that can also be disappointing because it does cost a lot to go to Europe. And if you're finally there for your study abroad, you're probably trying to take advantage of the fact it's a lot easier to get from England to Italy than it is from the U.S. to Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, now they won't really get that chance again, and they'll have to wait until later in life to make that trip. Sad news, but hopefully it doesn't get worse and we don't see the outbreak continue. So um, to kind of wrap into the subject of coronavirus, uh, one of our staff writers, uh, Nate Proctor, covered an event last Wednesday. It was a roundtable that was held at Amherst College on coronavirus, and it had a bunch of professors and professionals um, who talked about coronavirus, um, both uh, in the context of, you know, the five colleges and the local area in the United States, but also globally. So according to Catherine Mason, she's a medical anthropologist from Brown University, she said how the movement of information online has led to a lot of disinformation and uh, serious discontent around coronavirus. And they also put the situation in China in perspective. Uh, Mason had said about how the Hubei province, which is where, um, where Wuhan is, where the um, coronavirus epidemic started, and that whole province was sealed off. And she said that's equivalent to sealing off the entire population from D.C. to Maine. Uh, and then Andrew Lover, who's an infectious disease epidemiologist from UMass, said the discussion around quarantine should also revolve around, uh, you know, the public good and individual liberties. And they also provided some basic tips like washing your hands, using tissues instead of your sleeve, and not sharing utensils. And they also said that people should have, uh, quote, a flu buddy, um, and that's someone you can communicate with who isn't sick and can um, help you. And uh, the panelists were generally hopeful for the future. Yeah, I think definitely there's been a lot of negativity around coronavirus. I think it's definitely been something that a lot of people are really worried about. Um, and definitely for good reason for the most part. But I did like kind of the ending of the article where there was some hope for the future, um, where he talked about in 2002, we had to wait four months for a full gene sequence for the SARS, and we got coronavirus's sequence in a few days. So definitely um, things have changed since the past, and I think that we are medically more equipped to deal with it and hopefully hopefully won't be as bad as some of the major media outlets are trying to make it seem as. Yeah, it's great to see the university is also organizing events like this for students mm -hmm. uh, because, like you're saying, there's a lot of coverage going on in the mass media. Uh, and having access to people who are experts in health, experts in Chinese history. And I mean, UMass has a great public health program here. And having the academic resources to properly inform students and to also say, you know, it's important to consider how we've dealt with past viruses. I know in my research, I was talking to emergency management professionals who were saying, you know, the university's dealt with outbreaks before. This is a different disease, but learning from our history and being able to talk prof to professionals is probably the best way for students to be informed. I definitely think this is a really good way of kind of controlling all the madness around coronavirus, because 
I feel like there's just a lot of panic, especially on college campuses, because we're in such a tight-knit community. Um, so I think having an organized way to approach it, like a panel with experts, is really important and a really good move on their university's part. Cool. So uh, moving on, uh, Sophia, you have an update on SGA. Yeah, so this week the SGA created a TikTok account, which isn't something they've ever had before in terms of social media. So you can follow it. It's at UMass SGA on TikTok. Right now they have 10 followers. <laughs> um, and their bio I found a little um, surprising. It's the UMass Amherst Student Government Association's official propaganda department, which is, I'm hoping, a joke. <laughs> but... Um, that kind of surprised me. And one of the things that they said regarding this TikTok account was that they're doing it as a way to let people know that they don't take themselves too seriously. So I can, I definitely feel like you can see that reflected in their bio. And then in other SGA news, they announced the different tickets for the presidential and vice presidential candidates. So one of the tickets is running for president Barka Bandari and vice president is Sonia Epstein. And then we have Kyle Kendall running for president with Chris Figueredo as his vice president. And we have Michael Sushecki running for president with Sean Bo as vice president. And yeah, we'll be holding our SGA debate where all the candidates will have a chance to talk and discuss their policies um, we'll be holding that on the 11th, which is Wednesday, and it starts at 7. Yeah, and we'll also have, um, before the debate, we'll have profiles on each of the candidates for um, the president, vice president tickets and the trustees, and those should be up before the debate on Wednesday. But uh, real quick about the TikTok, um, what type of uh, content do you think they'll be, they'll be publishing? I'm not sure. There's no TikToks have been made yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be kind of more like TikTok trends than anything too serious because I don't think that TikTok is the best way to distribute <laughs> serious um, information. So I'm kind of assuming that this will just be a fun little thing that they do maybe to interact with other SGAs. All right, cool. So uh, that was um, our last piece of news to talk about. But uh, like um, every week, we're going to look back at an older edition. This week, we're talking about the March 9th, 1921 edition of the Collegian. This is back when uh, UMass was a Massachusetts Agricultural College and the Collegian was the Massachusetts Collegian. Interesting that there's no mention of Blarney or anything like that. I guess that <laughs> St. Patrick's Day celebration developed after 1921. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder when when Blarney did kind of come about and became such like a big day at UMass. I'm not sure, but I did notice they had a nice ball with the Mount Holyoke girls that they talk about. It was interesting to see, oh, it's our sister college and they're fundraising for the Mount Holyoke Endowment. And it's not an all-male college at this point. I think there were a couple female students. Like the Abigail Adams House, which was the first dormitory to house female students, is built around this time. But that it's still a very male-dominated college. So I think that's all the time we have for now. It was great having everyone listen. Tune in next time. And once again, I'm Will Malice. I'm Catherine Eston. I'm Abby Charpentier. I'm Sophia Gardner. And I'm Marina Kostake. And you've been listening to the Collegian News Hour. The music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Crude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.